And welcome back to the Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Armstrong. I got to say, it feels a little weird saying welcome back to the Forward Podcast because for the last week, I've been saying something different. I've been saying welcome back to the Stages Podcast for Stage 1, Stage 2, Stage 3. So the Stages Podcast, recapping every day's action in the Tour de France. A little bit of an adjustment. Um, My guest this week, Anna DeVere-Smith, is an old dear friend of mine. And what a force she is, what a talent she is. And the conversation that her and I have uh, was was lovely. And uh, she does these things where she goes around and interviews people. And so a long time ago, 10 plus years ago, she interviewed me. And then she takes the interview and learns the voice, learns the tone, learns the body language, all the way down to the fact somebody might twist a ring on their finger, learns all of that, and then takes that to, uh, to Broadway. And that then becomes a series of interviews. She's an unbelievably talented lady, but more importantly, she's unbelievably intelligent and, uh, and sweet and tough. It was, uh, it was a fun conversation. And in other news, um, we've been busy. Stages podcast has been keeping us busy. This tour is, you know, we're now, a, you know, a little more than a week deep. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been fun to, to dip back into the tour. It's been fun to, uh, to watch the race on a daily basis and, and try to uh, put myself mentally back in that place and then form opinions uh, about, um, about what's happening about, and, and, and about what's to come. And so uh, for those of you who are tuning in, uh, thank you for that, and uh, you know the the feedback on it and and the success of it has truly humbled me and blown me away. I didn't expect any of that, uh, so again, a big thank you for that, and uh, you know, thanks for you know coming back to the quote unquote old podcast for my good friend Anna Devere Smith. You guys have a great week, and uh, enjoy this conversation. Anna Devere Smith, thanks for being here. That's an honor and a pleasure. Does anybody call you ADS? Yeah, a lot of people. They do. Yeah, because when I was like looking at all this, I was like, ADS. Yeah, we're gonna do ADS. ADS is good. And Governor Richard used to call me Anna D. Anna D. Yeah. <laughs> Anna, Anna DS. Just Anna D. You know, we have two, and I want to get Ann Richards is is such a special person. I don't want to blow through that. I want to get back to that in a second, but. I, I wanted to say we have two things in common. That mm. I've, one I already kind of knew. The second I learned in studying you, mm. we were both born on September eighteenth. Right, but you're. Uh, I think like you're. A, you're too younger, older, younger. Yeah, you know, I'm. I'm older than you, but uh, yeah, okay. You came when you were due. I was a little bit early. I came the day I was due, and I was a ten pound baby. And my mom today is five three, maybe a hundred pounds, soaking wet. Whoa! And was seventeen years old at the time. But, and then the second thing is we, we can imitate people. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I imitate people. Oh, oh well, that, that's just, that could be, a, you know, another career for you. Right. But no, I actually can only do one. I can only do like an Australian accent. Let's but I'm hear very, it. I'm very, right, mate. Uh, good day. <laughs> good for you. That's really good. How, was that a good start? I think so. I think so. Good day, Digger. How are you? 
it's a, it's kind of a running joke. Like, at the, and then I'll I'll go to England. Like our our house, uh, the lady who helps us with our house in Aspen is South African. Oh, South African. So I will try her. Yeah. And she just thinks it's in. Or if we, we not, not that I go to England, but I, like one time a cab driver there, I was trying to be British. Yeah. And he said, "Oh, it's very Dick Van Dyke." Uh huh. Which is not a compliment. Right. Well, you look kind of like Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> For real? <laughs> a little bit. Same shape. But can you can you do them one right after the other so I can hear if you know the difference between English, South African, and Australian? No. 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 And I, and I did this. I was very proud of myself. I did this. And this, this is, I'm going to stop talking about me after this, but I did this uh, Andy Samberg mockumentary, sports mockumentary that's coming out pretty soon called uh, Tour de Pharmacy. And so I play myself and I'm like a secret informant and the the room's supposed to be dark and my voice is supposed to be motorized. And, and he says, you know, could you do it in an Austrian accent? Uh-huh. And I thought he said Australian. So I did the whole thing in my Australian. I was so proud. And I got, they got to the end and they were like, well, that was great. But try the Austrian accent. <laughs> yeah. so. But I would, you know, it's interesting. Watching, you know, we met through our mutual friend, great friend, Sally Jenkins. And this was, I don't know when... You interviewed me. Like around uh, 2007 or eight, something like that. So it's been 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. Whoa. And so what you do is, I'm so fascinated because you, number one, you interview the people, which is which what I'm doing now, which I find hard sometimes mm-hmm. and, and challenging. And But then you take their answers and their mannerisms and their attitude and their body posture, the way they say everything, and you put it into a play. Right. Yeah, and I and I hadn't seen you do me until today. Uh oh, uh oh. And it was just the only <laughs> clip I could find on YouTube was about a one minute clip, and it was it was uh, in Sally's. She's like, she nailed you. That's exactly the way you sit. That's the way you breathe. Well, it was very hard. We spent um, so I think I played I don't know nineteen or twenty characters in that play. Let me down easy, which is about healthcare, which is why. I wanted to talk to you because, of course, you know how you had successfully uh, battled cancer. And, um, and just the idea of winning and you as a winner and, you know, any, any fight to save your life is, 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 is that. But we spent, by we, I mean me and my movement coach, mm. who was a former uh, dancer with the Alvin Ailey Dance Company, we spent the most time studying you and studying uh, the first supermodel ever, Lauren Hutton. We spent hours and hours studying you, and it was actually very hard. Um, and uh, we were fascinated by all your movements, and we spent a lot of time on it. I wonder if I would say, I wonder if it would be, obviously the answers are different now. Maybe my, my, not. I mean, I remember... Well, if you uh, would have asked me about the obvious things. Yeah. And, well, I don't think I did that. No, I don't think you did either. But the steadfast, and I mean, obviously those answers are different. I just wonder if the vibe and the, um, the the you know, you know, my body language would it be different? Would be different. Well, you were very relaxed. I mean, you know, I don't know if you recall that we were um, uh, in your hotel room, sitting yeah. on a couch. Mm-hmm. You were just in like shorts and bare feet, and you were very, very at home with yourself. You're very, very at home with your body. Um, you know, one of the things that hadn't happened yet that was interesting is you, I was asking you about, you know, one of the many 
pursuits I had with you about winning. And you said, well, you have to make the right choice. And as an example, you said, my friend Matthew McGonaghy, he's never going to win an Academy Award if he keeps doing those chick flicks. And of course, I, I thought about that. How fucking smart am I? You were smart, man. And if he had listened to you, it would have happened sooner. I thought about it when he won. You just made my day. <laughs> you could be the business manager for a lot of Hollywood stars. He did. He got on this. He was just rom com after rom com, and then he did this awful movie called uh, 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 Surfer Dude or something. And I was like, "Oh no, what is happening?" And he and he just he just pivoted, yeah, and and said, "I don't care. I'm gonna I'm gonna try." And it, I'm very proud of him. And and the challenge I was you know with him through that losing that. I mean, just just to lose that amount of weight. How did he do it? Um. So he well, two things happened. One, they didn't get funding for the film when they thought they would. So he was, he was losing weight, losing weight, losing weight to the point where he thought filming would start because they had the money. All yeah. of a sudden the money fell out. Oh. So he said- Started eating? No. He said, okay, I'm going to lose more. Wow. So he just kept losing weight. So, I mean, it, it, that little hiccup slash stall and pause was probably the thing that, because he was so amazing being so skinny, right? And I, I don't remember exactly, I mean, he still would have been skinny. Yeah. But he just kept going. And so all, what he would do is he had all, you know, he's got all, he's crazy. So he's got all these ideas on what to eat and what herbs to take and blah, 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 all this bullshit. But he would go down to, the, and he did this in Austin, he would go down to the local gym and he would get on the elliptical. Right. He'd go like Rocky style. He'd go in with like nasty old, you know, uh, hoodie and hoodie, everything. warm up, sweatpants, the whole thing. And, and just for two hours, Whoa. not stop. And just, he said... I mean, it'd literally be a pool of sweat. Whoa, blowing. whoa, I mean, whoa, whoa, I mean, whoa. Like if you're like on the elliptical next to McConaughey, you're thinking, this guy's... Now, did you help him? I mean, no. were you, did you give him any, no. any mind tricks no. or anything like that? No, and, and, and I think he's, he is smart enough to know that it's just a mathematical formula, right? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to eat. Yeah. Very, and if I do, it is very, very little. Yeah. And I'm going to exercise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mathematical but, formula. Your, your hand gestures are the same. They are the same. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah, they have not changed. Yeah, I mean, the clip I found online, you were it was you were you were being, you were me, which is weird, um, or weird saying it. And it was some. I said something like, "Well, you know, there's one guy that's that's finished oh, yeah. second five times. Yeah, five times second in the Tour de France. Sucks five, to be him. Yeah, sucks to be him. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's actually what there was a actually there's a wonderful woman up here, and Welsh McNulty. There's a building with her name on it over there um, at the Aspen Institute, and her daughter was working at Goldman Sachs when they came to see the show, and she came backstage, and she was like, my favorite line is, sucks to be him, Yeah, because she was she's very competitive. And it's so funny, like when I, I've, obviously you filmed me, and you said it word for word, but I was like, oh, did I really say that? Five times second, and, and I've the Tour de France, sucks to be him. Yeah. Well, it would, wouldn't it? Five times second. Yeah, it, it would. It would. Um, uh, you know, he, I mean, I'm pretty sure I was talking about Ulrich, but he, Jan Ulrich, he, he was a, uh, he was one of these guys where he would get second, and I, and I even told him this, and I've told other people, like he gets second, and he said, I, I'm happy with my race. I did my best. I wow. got second. It's a cool guy. And see, it is, he is a very cool guy, and I just wasn't wired that way i wouldn't have thought that or said that back then and i wouldn't think it or say it today yeah yeah but it, he's 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 an a plus yeah. yeah yeah and playing ann so in the same play yeah you you played a lot of people but but ann richards 
that's the only name that when Sally asked me to sit with you, she said that that you were going to play Anne as well. And so, yeah. I mean, you know, if anybody said to me, like, you got to do this, and, and if they associate Ann Richards with it, i do it. Right. I mean, it's just a done deal. Well, the first time I met you was at her funeral. Mm, right. You know, and um, yeah, she was, uh, I wonder what she would think now <laughs> with what's it mean, what she would think about what's going on in our country right now. Right. It would be amazing to have her here. Uh, she's a real truth. I found her to be a real truth teller. And I, I think she made a couple calls to you to convince you that you should talk to me. But I loved, I loved Austin. I loved the, the whole Austin thing. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. She, when I was diagnosed, she sent me a card. She was very good friends uh, with Claire Corieth, who's John Corieth is my best buddy. Most of the world knows him as a, his nickname, College. So through John and Claire, I, I kind of knew Anne, and she sent me a card when I was diagnosed. And I'll never, ever, ever forget this. Um, she said, Lance... What a rotten deal. Yep. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's a coin toss. And I'm like, but just the way. It's the truth. I think you said that. What a rotten deal. I think you said that. You know, what was that thing that they do? There's some kind of award ceremony they do every year down there in Austin. All the stars show up, uh, get drunk, and Mm, they give people awards. And I think you, I think Anne was being honored, and Mm. you gave a toast to her. And you yeah. said, you, you, you mentioned that card. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and when I, when I went to the, the, the services, which was at the Irwin Center, I mean, where the, you know, where U2 plays, I mean, there were that right. many people there. Um, I was walking in, the local news crew stopped me, and, and I told that story, I said, and I said, no, now this is a rotten deal. This is a rotten deal. Yeah. Yeah, she, you know, it's interesting. I, and I don't know if I believe this, but I've heard it more than once, um, and I only bring this up because you talk about what we're living in and through today. Right. With an administration, and I try to stay out of all this as right. much as I can, but an administration that is full of controversy and full of screaming and yelling. And, um, but it's, it's, you know, she, so she's the governor. George W. Bush decides he wants to be governor. And, you know, there are people that would think that she sort of laid down on George W., that she underestimated him because mm-hmm. she was so popular and, and he won. Like, lo and behold, the guy who, you know, like had a baseball team and, and, and I've known W for a long time and I consider him a friend, but she didn't, and I don't know if this is true or not, I'm only saying it because I've heard it, but that she didn't take him that serious. And so by letting him, letting him become the governor, he then became the president. And so it's, it's, I would, it'd be amazing to go back and, and sit in some of those conversations. Well, one of the things she told me is she thinks the reason she lost is because uh, she didn't keep it simple enough. Hmm. And that, you know, he just kept everything real simple. Whatever came out of his mouth is real simple. And I've never thought of Anne as complex. I mean, certainly as a human, she was complex and, and she, had, uh, she was very smart. But I thought that part of her gift was to just bring it to you in a way that you wouldn't forget it, and then that has to be simple. Yeah. But her, she, her thing, she said he would, he, you know, got to keep it simple. She tried to help Gore, you know, say, man, you got to keep it simple. So yeah, I think that was hard for everybody hmm. when she lost. Well, he's uh, yeah. But in your position, you have your public has always been very diverse. So I'm sure that George W. Bush was just as enamored of you as Anne. Richard was. Don't yeah. you, have, you have to kind of show up for whoever is governor kind of thing? Yeah. Well, I didn't, 
I guess I did meet him when he was governor, but I, I met him more times when he was president. But we just had these natural connections. We were both from Texas. He loved to ride bikes. He started out as a runner, got hurt, oh. so he found mountain biking, and so he, you know, he would, uh, he'd want to go ride bikes, and so he, and he, you know, while you can or cannot totally agree with certain people's decisions and policies, um, I mean, I always looked at it like, okay, I'm, it is the president. I'm not sure what I would say today if the president wanted to go for a mountain bike ride, but, um, but as 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 a person who was trying to lead a cause like Livestrong, I, I was sitting there going, okay, I'm going to go for this bike ride, and then I'm going to ask him for a bunch of money. Yeah. Right, let's, let's get an extra, and I did. I mean, let's, let's get an extra billion dollars for the National Cancer Institute. Right. How about that? Right. Can we do that? <laughs> but, you know, he was, he's a very Cowboys and Indians guy. You know, he was, W's, uh, and, I, and I do, I never not liked being around him, and, and, and you could be as far left as you can imagine, but when you hang out with him, you, you like the guy. He's yeah. a likable guy, but he, he was, you know, he, I remember one time we were mountain biking at Crawford, and, and we got done, and he's like, you want to go for a swim? And it was, well, of course, hotter than hell. And I said, okay. So we jump in the pool. He jumps in, and the first question, he goes, all right, now who's the biggest dickheads in the Peloton? <laughs> right for it, right? Straight at it. And, yeah. I'm like, and I was like, for me, I was like, okay, that's, that's what it's about. Like, yeah. who's a good guy? And who's, and who's a, a bad guy? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Keep it simple. Yes. Yeah. Totally simple. But he, he, and he tried his ass off riding. That's for sure. Was he, was he a real athlete in that way? Yeah. 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 Apparently he paints now. No, for real. Yeah, I know. Well, um, who's been the toughest person to portray to or even to interview and you have some interviews it's like oh this is hard yeah well i mean i thought um well that you know i've interviewed thousands of people now uh it was hard to interview you because i i felt like your answers were very short and i felt and and sally had told me you don't like to sit around very much mm. and i was afraid every minute every I was always afraid you were going to say, that's a stupid question. We have to shut this down. But, right. So that was hard. I think the hardest interviews are people who will, don't talk very, they give a brief answer. Sure. So uh, here's a perfect example. I had, I had, had this, usually I stop the interview when that happens. My new play is about kids who can't get through school and end up incarcerated. And we're going to talk about uh, that. Black, brown, Native American. And now I know, you know, about uh, my net, uh, before I close this project down, I'm going to go and talk to uh, poor whites in Appalachia because they're actually in the same predicament. <clears throat> we just always think about things in race. We can't think about ourselves altogether. But I talked to this kid in South Carolina, you know, who had been in and out of jail already, hadn't even graduated from high school. And he's sitting there with his hoodie on in front of this broken down trailer in a front yard, all these broken down cars in a very poor part of um, of South Carolina, and his mother was trying to get him to take the hoodie off. He wouldn't take it off. And I never ask people, uh, like, what did you do? I never say that. Or in, 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 or in the case of Let Me Down Easy, if I was visiting somebody at the hospital, I would never say, what do you have? Mm. So in the case of somebody's very ill, I'll say, well, what happened? And it's the same thing if somebody's in prison. I'll say, well, what happened? And I said to this kid, I said, well, what happened? And he said, he was, he was talking about a go-kart that he saw somewhere. And he said, I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. <laughs> the end. The end. I saw it, I wanted it, I took it. I wasn't getting anything out of that kid. One of the things I found out is people who feel victimized 
talk much longer than people who don't. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's real simple, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, and 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 uh, so I think that was um, that was uh, the, one of the hardest interviews. And then now, because I study gesture, because I use a camera, and I didn't in the beginning, cameras are small enough to do so now. There's a kid in Baltimore, Alan Bullock, who got uh, arrested during the Baltimore, after the Baltimore riots because he vandalized a police car. And uh, he was very hard to learn because just, he said, you feel me after every every sentence. Either you feel me, femi, or fe. And learning that kind of stuff, right. he never finished a sentence. And then his hand gestures uh, were very hard to learn, and I think they were probably influenced by hip-hop, you know. So I think that's it. If people are speaking English, but it's an English that is so different than, um, you know, sentence structure that you would see in a book, on the one hand, they're the most fascinating people to me, right. but on the other hand, it's hard. Yeah. Sally, so I texted Sally Jenkins this morning. And for the listeners out there, you probably know Sally did the first two books that I did. And and just also, too, I, I want to note that she's been an amazing friend. I mean, Sally Jenkins, if anybody in this world could have said, okay, buddy, we're done. It's Sally Jenkins. Yeah. And she didn't. And so I appreciate her for leaning in. But she, she, I, I, I told her that you were coming on. And I said, give me some tidbits. And she said, oh, she's so smart. I said, Sally, that's not a tidbit. That's not a tidbit. That's not a, that ain't going to fly. And so she said, um, and I actually watched, I saw on YouTube your, your version of her. Um, but she said, and I had never noticed this with Sally, that she, when she talks, she twists her, her rings on her, on her finger. Yeah. And I've been with Sally, maybe, you know, obviously her parents, but maybe more than almost anybody in the world. And I never noticed that. And so she went to see the play, and you got it. You're, not only do you have the, 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 the intonation and the voice, but just down to like twisting your rings. Yeah. Yeah, she's uh she's amazing. She's a real friend of athletes. I think she yeah. understands you. She calls <clears throat> all of the, you that are so incredible. She says you're physical geniuses. Mm. You know, she says that the Greeks would have ground up rhinoceros skins and and eaten it if they thought it was going to make them perform better. You know, she really gets it and you know, she's also a world-class sports journalist that a lot of people admire. She's a great writer. Yeah. No, she's, 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 you know, and, she, and she's tough. Like she, you know, she, I'm just, her relationship with me opened her up hmm. to a lot of criticism. Oh, it did. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, it's this day and day and age, and even four or five years ago, it was still easy with, with social media. And, you know, people were just, you know, they came at her with both barrels. Wow. What'd you say to her when you re realized they were doing that? You know, we 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 were talking a lot because, you know, she did two books with me. Or I did. We did two books together. Um, and you know, I thought, well, maybe we need to write sort of the third, the definitive book. Ooh. Um, and the the opinions on her, on that are all over the place. There are a lot of people. Her, first of all, her ed editors at the Post, I don't think, are big fans of that idea. Right. Um, you know, their idea, their, their answer would be, he definitely needs to write a book, but you don't need to write it. Okay. But that would, might've been five years ago. I don't know where that sits today. So we, we were, we were kind of kicking this idea wow. around. Wow. Um, but 
and, and I think for me, because I've been working on this, trying to write another book, and it, it, I, I'm a little blocked. And, I, and she's so special, and it was so easy with her. Yeah. That it's just, it's, it's not, and it's not that the, that the content is harder now. The content's easier now. Right. It's just the process isn't the same. And she, but that's a real testament to her. Right. The way we went about it was just. Well, I know she understood, she understood certain basic things about you, you yeah. know, that uh, you weren't going to sit still, you know? So y'all did it kind of doing errands and things, as I recall. Right. Well, she wanted to, you know, like any person writing a book or doing an interview, come sit down, turn on the recorder and say, yeah. okay, here's, I got t- 20 questions and let's get after it. Yeah. We did that for about 10 minutes. I said, this is not going to work. <laughs> Like we need to, so we just started hanging. Yeah. Why Traveling, yeah. shopping, right. whatever, dinners, yeah. you yeah. know. Yeah. Wild. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I uh, and I didn't talk to her in months until I, until I texted her this morning about you. She's sweet. You know, I watched this. You just bring up race versus class. Yeah. One of the things I saw online was, was you on Bill Maher, which wasn't recent. It was probably five years ago uh-huh. maybe with jimmy kimmel was on there oh yeah you oh were, yeah that was a long time ago it was a while ago and, wow. and uh I, i'm kind of a fan of his show although I, I don't always love it but but um i'm a fan but the, this issue of race and you just brought it up you just walk right to it race versus class right and it came up i forget the gentleman that was sitting to your to your right brought it up as well because it's it is an issue obviously race is a huge issue right but you just you just said it that that class is also an issue. Right. You could be a white kid in West Virginia or wherever, and you know that 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 pipeline from from you know getting out you know stopping or not going to school after the fifth grade to prison is the same. Right. It's exactly white, the same. black, green. Yeah, and I don't know why we can't. It just is a. Uh, I I don't even really like to use the word racism, but. Um, I guess at a certain point you have to just look at it and go, you know, well, why wouldn't it be in our interest, you know, for everybody who's getting a bum deal and, and finds that it's very hard to lift themselves up out of everything that poverty means now, you know, and generations of it. few generations, this notion of the American dream has been dead. And so if you're living in an environment that's bad for your health, bad for you emotionally, if there's a lot of violence, if you're... I had suffered some kind of psychological trauma and so have your parents, why wouldn't everybody get together and say, well, hey, you know what? We need better schools. We need schools that are going to be more like community centers to really be a real big intervention mm-hmm. in this thing that's killing people. You know, one of the things that is fascinating to me, I had a chance when I was performing uh, in Austin to uh, work out in the mornings with the strength coaches for the UT Austin basketball team. And, you know, I'd go, I had to do it early because that was the only time they could see this me. Is, I'm sorry, this is under Rick Barnes, the old coach, or the new coach? Uh, I don't know. How many years ago? Five, the, uh, like uh, 2009. Right, so under Rick Barnes. So yes. Todd Wright was one of the strength guys and all his guys. Yeah. Amazing guys. And amazing guys. And I would go in there and um, in the morning at 6 o'clock, and there would be other coaches in there, like, watching some video about nutrition, about what, Ever, like to to 
constantly be ready for whatever they could bring these young athletes to do better. And this one guy is called Dexter, walked through one day, and my coach uh, said to me, my trainer said to me, that's Dexter. He said, you know, when Dexter got here, he weighed 400 pounds, and we got the weight off of him, and blah, blah, blah. And I, you think about it, it's like, how would you even know that somebody who weighed 400 pounds was an athlete? And, and um, you know, I know Jody Conran, and, uh, you know, and if, if this pursuit of talent, how far they'll, they'll go and get it and train it, imagine if we would put that for a broader reach of talent, you know, uh, uh, looking for a mathematician or looking for whatever, you know, but if you can get Dexter, get, you know that he's an athlete and he's 400 pounds. We just aren't using uh, our human capability to turn what poverty is doing to mm. anybody who happens to be in its grips. For some reason is in this country, we're not interested in turning that around. I think it's heartbreaking. So to me, the reason to stretch beyond, and in my case, African-American woman, to stress beyond to stretch beyond my race to whoever is caught in that clutch is important because it helps me understand it better. So, you know, for this particular play, notes from the field, luckily I was able to get a um, the judge of a of, of a Indian tribe to let me hang around with them. You know, they didn't. You know that, that my my attempt to get at Native Americans before has always been. You know, you don't belong here. Bye. So that was a gift that I got to be around this tribe and see what happened to them and and how that's affecting them to this day and how hard it is for them to get up out of the, the what I would call the clutch of poverty. Yeah. No. That that's a, that's they they they. I don't think anybody thinks they got a good deal. Oh. It's a bad deal. Bad deal. That's a rotten deal there. I mean, that's now that's a rotten deal. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, here you're you're a guy, you know, born to a single mother, and you know, came out okay for you. But you have some sense of how it, probably how it could have gone. And, yeah, and I don't know where you've been the last five years, but uh, it's not perfect. Yeah, yeah. But it, it it yeah. Having said that, I can't complain. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's you. it's it's been a. Um, well, you know what? It it has been okay, and I and I now. Uh, what am I saying? I mean, it it is absolutely okay. But do you think it would have its origins? I mean, you know what I'm when I'm referring to you and your mother as a single mom, yep. seventeen years old, right? That things are this cards are stacked against that woman and against that child. Yeah. But well, I was I was Dexter at a young age. Mm -hmm. I was the four. I wasn't four hundred pounds, but I was whatever they saw in Dexter people saw whether it's coaches or sponsors or supporters they saw in me right so at the age of 13 which is pretty young yeah you know mom had some help and she had help from um sports right and so i don't know dexter's exact situation but if they think you have sports talent they they, they will help you they go yeah but we just don't have enough of a a range of what talent is i mean when's the last time you heard somebody say as a, like, in this, here, where we are, Aspen, you know, all these very rich people, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, they're going to talk about, I don't know, who, who, who is talent that has to do with acquiring stuff, mm -hmm. right? Or here we are with this great music festival here and the jazz festival tomorrow. We'll talk about who could sing, who can make money, who's pretty, who's a, can, you know, go up, up the pass and down, 
the bells, all of that. When is the last time you heard somebody be really impressed that someone is kind yeah. or really impressed that uh, someone is generous? So we don't even value those things right. that would help us stretch our idea of, of what's a good person. Yeah. Well, let's not for one second think that this is representative. This of the, of, of, of the rest of the country. Right. I mean, I love it here. Although look at this book right here. Pam was showing me the slums of Aspen. There's poor people here. We just are so taken up with the rest of it. Yeah. And we, I'll bring this up only because he and I brought it up on this podcast a little less than a year ago with Seal spent some time here. Oh. And, and we talked about it, so I think I feel safe saying this. You're an African-American lady. He's, he's uh, obviously British, you know, I don't, you know, I guess you can't say African-American, Af Af whatever. He's a black man. And I was out riding, and I see this guy on the path coming at me. And I said, wow, look at this big black guy. And he's just laughing. He's like, because you never see any black guys here. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I got closer. And I was like, oh, my God, that's Seal. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, and then the wheels started turning. Like, I got to get Seal on the podcast. Wow. 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 And he came on. We talked. had a crazy talk for two hours. But he, yeah. he you know, he was sort of laughing about it. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to. We're, Anna and I are looking at this book over here, The Slums of Aspen. I don't believe it. Well. <laughs> There's no slums here. Or near here, who 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 uh, who mows these lawns, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, or uh, I don't know the situation of your South African uh, housekeeper or nanny. She's housekeeper or nanny? Well, she's she, we're only here part of the time, so she looks. She's a house manager, I think yeah. she would say. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but she has people that work for who do who would help you clean the house or who would mow your yard, and those are Hispanic people. Those are those are those are Mexicans. Or if we go down down Valley, I mean, I don't know what we would see, you yep. know, depending. But so so somewhere around this big palace, this palatial place, mm -hmm. we could call it this place on the hill, uh, there have to be people who support it. So, um, well, I, just not to cut you off, but I will say, and my closest friend here is our sheriff. His name is Joe DeSalvo. He's the sheriff of Pitkin County. He has made it very clear every chance, every restaurant he goes to. At some point during the meal, he goes back into the kitchen, and uh -huh. he says, I want to get everybody's attention. He said, you know, knowing very well that not everybody there is legal. Yo. He, said, he says, nobody is huh. leaving. Wow. Right. So this. Whoa. Right. Fabulous. Yes. Right. That's good. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know. We could go, you know, if you're ever on the East Coast, let's go up to... Um, you know, we'll go to Martha's Vineyard. You know, that that's where the black uh, people who have dough, they have the, the own. That's where Obama the, was hanging. They hang, that's where he hang, hung out. And, you know, Vernon Jordan would hang out with Clinton there. So it's, uh, there, there are oh. pockets. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> oh, my God. Vernon Jordan and Clinton. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, yeah. How was that role? Well, I think they were pretty tight, you know. What was I going to say? Oh, I read here, this is a quote. I don't know if this guy's anybody, but he wrote this article about you in the New York Times. This fellow's name is Ben Brantley. Uh-huh. And Ben Brantley said, that's what makes Mrs. Smith so invaluable. She creates a dialogue out of monologues amongst souls who, in real life, might never have the occasion to speak to one another. Yeah. Well, and even if they did have the occasion to, some of them wouldn't want to. You know, Fair and enough, uh, but that's a play that... Uh, my earlier work was more like that, and that's a play I would like to write now, hmm. is people who would not be wanting to talk to each other yeah. and uh, put them side by side in my monologues. So, yeah, why not? Yeah, that's, that's the idea. My, my grandfather, when I was a girl, had said that if you say a word often enough, it becomes you. If you say a word often enough, it becomes you. And so 
I've been trying to become America since like the early 1980s and in a specific response to having grown up in a segregated town. You know, Baltimore, Baltimore. was de facto segregation. Uh, wasn't the law, but that's how people lived. And I just didn't like the idea. Not only did I not like the idea of like, oh, you can't go there, you know. Uh, but it was also this idea that that I, I the only place that I can really uh, learn and, and, and um, experience my own love, fear, rage is within the people who are like me. So it seemed to me that was like uh, uh, not a, as a, a full human experience. And so I've been pursuing really that which is not me. And when I say, and so um, in Let Me Down Easy, there's a rodeo bull rider who I hung out with, came very close to. I mean, I'm sure he's a Trump supporter for sure. Uh, I'm sure he wants everyone, wants a wall everywhere. Um, and uh, me and, and Brent became very close. And even to study you, you know, like it, that's why we, me and, and Michael Leon Thomas, my coach, you know, my movement coach, we spent so much time studying you because, I mean, you know, you're very, very different from me. So that's my pursuit. And by the way, I thought that's what acting was supposed to be about. Right. Not just using the frame of another person as an expression of yourself. So that's really what I've been trying to do is close that gap that I grew up with, which allowed me to believe that I was a stranger in my own city to somebody else. I didn't like that feeling. Yeah. Did you always want to be an actor? No, I wanted to be a couple different things. I wanted to be a psychiatrist. My mother felt well, you, uh, what you do is all you're already a psychiatrist. What she, you, did, this is, well, she she said you're I was breaking too, it down. She I said mean. I was too sensitive to okay. be one, so I couldn't do that. Huh. And then I wanted to be a linguist, but um, when I got to college, uh, uh, I'm <laughs> that's when the world was falling apart. Martin Luther King was killed my freshman year and stuff. So I was one of those people who just like wasn't going to class. I was trying to change everything. So I I. To be a linguist is that's a very serious pursuit. It's almost like mathematics. So I, uh, you know, I ended up becoming an actor, really by kind of a fluke. It really wasn't what I was intending to do. But, you know, it's it's not a bad profession. No, no, especially when you do it like you do. Let's talk about Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah, I know you've spent a lot of time on that, and and on your website, I've watched most of the videos on here, but but the Brie Newsom oh, interview yeah, yeah. was, like, I'm in love with that girl. Oh, everybody is, yeah. That's, She's amazing. Yeah, so so for the listeners, she, so um, um, Dylan Roof yeah. comes into, I mean, the way, and I have, and I'm in, like embarrassed to admit this, like, these things, these stories, these tragedies, I can't, like, it's too sad to me for me to really, if it's on the cover of the New York Times, I just can't read all that. Yeah. So I didn't even know until today exactly what happened. Right, right. That you wow. have this yeah. congregation, it's after hours, it's late, Dylan Roof, a white kid, shows up and pretends like he wants to sit in. I think I'm getting this right. Yeah, sit in on prayer meetings. Sit yeah. in on, on this Bible study. Yeah. And then just uh, proceeds to kill all these people. And, and um, you know, and it obviously resonated around the world, but, but Bree... You know, they have this Confederate flag in South Carolina. They don't even want to fly it, you know, half-mast. And she climbs up there. By the way, I don't know how she climbed up there, but it was, <laughs> I mean, and the way she speaks in this video, for anybody listening, go to Anna's website and watch, it's, I think it's under projects, 
But what an eloquent, beautiful yeah. lady. She's amazing. She blew my mind. Mm. You know, we worked very hard to get that interview. And then when I got it, I couldn't even believe how amazing she is. She's very clear, uh, very committed. She had never climbed anything before. It didn't um, look like it. And um, they picked her, this group of people, black and, and white people, activists, only 12 of them. They had to get that flag down. They felt they had to get that flag down. Mm. And uh, they picked her because um, she was the only one who could afford to get arrested who was physically able, even looked like she was physically able to climb the pole. And they felt that an African-American woman should do it and symbolically. And was African-American because there were other people there like who were not. People, yes. So as of the African-American people, she was the one who was right. most fit. And she had never climbed anything before. So they got this Greenpeace activist who came down from New York. And they practiced. She had a day and a half to learn it. And they practiced on a on a um, uh, a lamppost on a, a friend of hers farm, and then you know they were calling for lightning. She still did it. They were afraid that she would be shot, and she had to accept or the tased, fact. At least or tased, she, she said, they were going to tase I'm her. holding this metal pole, and I'm going to die. You know? But when they were really in that group, you know, sitting together, figuring this out, they they were afraid that a, you know that somebody would just come down and come by and shoot them. And they made the decision. They had to make the decision together what would happen, and. You know, they decided that, you know, everybody else would scatter. Mm. And she had to come to peace with the fact that she'd be up on this pole completely vulnerable and the people she'd arranged with this would all scatter. And she said what got her through it was her faith. She's very, 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 very religious. In fact, I tried every way to get to Bree, and the only way I finally got to her was a friend of mine who's a priest who got me to her. So she's truly a true, true Christian. And she believed that God had wanted her to do it. And that's what got her up that pole, plus her adrenaline. You know something about adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, she looked She looked like she'd done that, you know, a couple hundred times. I know I wouldn't get up there. I don't care what was going on. I hate heights. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah. But well, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, you know, she's just, just again, for the listener, just, it's two minutes. The clip on your site is two minutes, and you, you'll just... You just love her. Heroic. Yeah, heroic. What about Ob uh, Obama? Have you interviewed him? No, you know, I wanted to. Yeah, uh, I bet. I couldn't get it. I wanted to inv in interview him for the health care play because yeah. that play hit New York right when, when his plan was coming through. Uh, he was very aware of this play about, uh, about the kids who couldn't, you know, nose from the field, the kids who get incarcerated. But um, I didn't get him. I, I suppose uh, it's never too late. It's never too late. Not. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah. If, if you would still do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I should pursue. I forgot about that, that desire. I'm going to Well, I'm it. glad you came but on I the did, show I did so talk I could remind to, you. you could remind me. I did talk to uh, Jimmy Carter and to uh, uh, George Bush Sr. and um, to Clinton. So I, I got three of them, and I should, I should try to get, get Obama. I saw, uh, uh, I just kind of read the paper and watch, you know, our browse the internet on news but i saw this somebody you know of course everybody films everything now right whether you're, you're the doctor that got dragged out of the airplane and yeah. sued you know but they film everybody. everybody's got their phone rolling right yeah so this is about two weeks ago jimmy carter was flying somewhere i don't know where he's flying. did y'all see this yeah so he's he's in homeboy is flying commercial which i just figured all former presidents fly private yeah me too so he's walking down and, and not only commercial he's walking like to the back of the plane right so he, so well, say it's you know maybe Delta because he's living in Atlanta. He shakes every person's hand. Amazing. And so the person that you're just watching him, he goes person by person. I don't know if maybe the first two people wanted a handshake, and then the third person said, "Well, I better get a handshake." 
He shakes every person's hand as he walks back. Whoa, I got to check that out. He's got a little bolo tie on. And wow. Just, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can. How old? He must be 90 now. Is he 90? Well, like I don't know how old he is, but he, he looks old. But he is a guy who's, you know, I mean, his, his cancer diagnosis was bad. I mean, yeah. B-A-D bad. Yeah. And he didn't look like a he looks He looks old. Yeah. But he didn't look sick. Huh. Cool. He's 92. 92. Higgs tells us, 92 years old. Got Shit, sign me up right now. Sign me up right now, too. And then, and then Senior. I, I, I think Senior is a... I love how these guys all now, you know, they get out. You know, they, they, can't, you know they, they run against each other. They hate each other. They say mean things about each other. And then they get out. And, you know, Clinton and Senior are like, you know, skydiving together. Whatever. They're all yeah. buddies. And then, and then, you know, Obama and... and, and W were hanging out and Michelle's there. It's like, whoa, wait. But that's what it should be. I mean, it, it, it's really you're passing a baton mm -hmm. on whether you agree with each other. You know, I do believe that people who are that's crazy not enough. With this one. No, it's obviously not. Um, I think that people who are crazy enough to run for president of the United States have to have a lot of things. But I believe they do have to have a pretty profound love of the country. Mm. And, um, I mean, who would want that job right now? Yep. I mean, who would want it? And and they do have that in common. They also know stuff that the rest of us are never going to know. So they sort of have a shared bunch of secrets that secret only handshake. they know. And the secret they got, they know secrets we don't know. Yeah. So I had this conversation with somebody the other day, and they were convinced that you know, from this point going forward, you know, you're not going to be a, a, a kind of anonymous politician that just was a maybe a lawyer and then became a senator and you're going to be it's going to be George Clooney or it's going to be the rock or it's going to be you know that it's going to take cuz you can you just already you have that leg up you don't care about money right that that and I don't know why they we got onto this but I can I don't know I think I can kind of see that you think George Clooney would be president of the United States? Well, I don't know, but I, but this is that that was the name that they used as an example. Huh. I mean, do I think George Clooney wants to be the president of the United States today? Yeah, one hundred percent. You do? Sure. Wow. Why? Well, I think he wants to be president anyways, but he's as left as left gets. And, oh, okay. And okay. so he he'd do anything, but right. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I don't know, boy. Oof. Mm. But I don't know. You were right about Matthew. And those chick flicks, so you might be right. Might be a big movie star. You know, twice a day, Anna. <laughs> twice a day, a broken clock is right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love, and your name is so easy to remember. My, my, I was like, well, I can't, I can't screw this name up. You know, my lady's name is Anna. Is my it? My fiance now. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, I've been together nine years, two kids. Whoa. And my dumb ass took this long to propose. Wow. And she's amazing. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I was crying like a baby. What's it like to teach, to be a professor, someplace yeah. like NYU or Stanford? Well, um, I think of, uh, I've been teaching for a long time, right. and I, I think of uh, the classroom as a laboratory mm. in a way. And um, the main thing I've learned in this many years, uh, 40, I guess, I've been teaching, main thing I've learned is just to get out of the way I, what my goal is is to set up um, a scenario where my students can find out how brilliant they are, but also find out their limitations. And I try to set up a situation where they can do that, and I get out of the way. And I always tell them, 
when we begin that I said, well, I'm going to talk a lot for the first few classes. I'll be talking a lot. But if I'm successful as we move through the semester, I'll be speaking less and less, and you'll be running the classroom. So my goal is to get in there, make a big, strong um, impression on them, and then to get out of the way and get them to run it. That's really you'll be uh, listening about now. I'm listening. You and will, you'll be listening. I'll be listening. Okay, because here's what Sally Jenkins says about yeah. you. She's a great actress and a great journalist because she's the best listener I have ever been around. She doesn't just listen with her ears. She uses her eyes and other senses too. Very observant. So that's, that's exactly what you just said. And then I, I'm just reminded here too from Sally, and I didn't know this is nowhere to be found online, but after Hurricane Sandy, yeah, you were there. You, you went out and basically reported or observed and watched and reported on this. Yeah, I went to Katrina down, uh, down the two, two disasters. One, well, I, I like disaster, I should say. You know, um, you're, you're like Sean Penn. Well, not like, really. Give me Haiti, give me Katrina. Yeah, give me well, well, I mean, I, the reason I like disaster is because I think it's actually catastrophe. First of all, I'm a dramatist, so you like catastrophe because you have a chance to make sense out of nonsense. Mm. Also, I like catastrophe because when people are in the throes of catastrophe, they have to, in order to move forward, they have to find a sense of their own dignity. And, and, and I find that when I sit with them, and talk to them about what just happened. Uh, they're tr they're they're trying to make sense of it, and they are they become very creative while they're trying to make sense of it. And I can see them coming into their own sort of what I call their own authorship. They're figuring it out, and you know I'd much rather watch them figure it out than watch the New York Times figure it out. Oh, amen to that. Right? Because the New York Times has to figure it out quickly. You know, they got to be smart. I'm not interested in smart. No, a lot of smart people. Only here more smart. What I'm interested in is when, when we are all sitting in, well, I met this Nobel Prize uh, economist who talked about his work was on decision-making in the face of a profound ignorance. I'm interested in what people do when they know that we, when you can't make sense of it, you know your ignorance. I'm interested in what they do with it. It's very active. So... I went to New Orleans a couple times after Katrina. I went to Rwanda 10 years after the genocide, and I certainly went out there um, during Sandy. I didn't really do anything with that. I just went, walked around, and, 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 and watched. But, uh, but, yeah, I'm the catastrophe girl. I mean, even went to Baltimore right after this riot. You know, the reason I went to Columbia, South Carolina, was to try to talk to the girl who videoed the little girl being thrown across the room in her own classroom by a police officer because she was using the cell phone. I mean, you should check that out. Um, uh, Spring Valley High School, it's unbelievable. So that's, that's, my, that's my thing. Is, um, and maybe, too, that when, when things fall apart, there is a sort of uh, maybe ego goes aside, people are a little bit less self-conscious, then I can get in and, and, and really you know, meet people and hear them and, and yeah. fall in love with them. Yeah. You know, I heard everything you said, and, I, and, and while... Because uh, you're talking about very, you're talking about major catastrophes, right? right. You're talking about Rwanda, Katrina, Sandy, um, South Carolina, you know, riots, etc. You know, the thing that just struck me with what you said is with catastrophe. Like I look at my situation as, mm. and there many many people would not view it as a catastrophe, you know, self-inflicted catastrophe, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, but everything you just said, I understand. Mm -hmm. So with that, whether it's self-inflicted or not, 
comes creativity, mm-hmm. comes movement. And the, 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 I mean, the, the name of this podcast is The Forward. Those people, whether you're in New Orleans or whether you're in New York City or whether you're me, you got to figure out a way to move forward. Right. And, you know, that's sort of been the beauty of conversations like this because it was, I never, three years ago, I never would have thought I would do this. But mm-hmm. you just sort of figure it out. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because, you know, you started by asking me, you know, would, would, would I perceive you as any different now, mm-hmm. you know, after, after what happened, as you called it, the obvious what happened. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, hey, look, <laughs> I mean, if you can imagine, um, somebody once told me about, I guess, I don't know what kind of society this was, it was even true, but of somebody who had done something and they had to walk around like with a skull in their hand begging for food. Um, when you think about it, I mean, none of us want to be in catastrophe. None of us want to be in that state. But the only thing that's going to bring any of us out of catastrophe is creativity, mm. you know, and is ingenuity. And, you know, whatever you learn from this one, uh, you'll have a chance to give to somebody else. Or it could be preparing you for something you don't even know. Right. Right? Right. Do you believe in God? I don't. Oh, I remember that, too. I think I, you told I me don't. That. I don't. Uh, I don't. But... But, um, but, and we talked about it a minute ago, I mean, this is, you know, I spent years uh, just fully be- believing that I got completely fucked. And, you know, that's not for me to, to judge or decide. It doesn't matter. But sitting there thinking that you, quote unquote, just got fucked um, is, a, is a neutral position. So the quicker, and it took me a long time, probably took me, I'm not that bright, I'm not, I was stubborn, all these things, but when I got to this place, they're like, okay, this this just went down, and I'm not going to change it, nobody's going to change it, and I have to figure out a way for me and my family, or for my family, to move forward, and, and just to accept that, and that's, um, you know, I, you know I, I thought about this on the bike the other day, because I used to always say, that the biggest mistake I ever made was coming back in 2009. Hmm. And so most people hear that, right? you know, righteous, you know, a perfect person, which there are a lot of, would say, no, the biggest mistake you ever made was deciding to dope. Um, and so, but I, I believed three years ago that the biggest mistake I ever did was come back because it made it a current story, it made me a target, et cetera, et cetera. And the other day I was on the bike and I threw all my thinking on the bike and I thought, you know what? I would never say that again. Huh. I don't, I don't, I wouldn't, it happened. I was, I was bored. I was uh, arrogant. I, I came back and this happened. And so yeah. now I get to live with it and deal with it. And, and, uh, you know, sitting here in summer of 2017, I wouldn't change a thing. Huh? Really? I wouldn't. Wow. But it took me five years. Well, how'd to, you get to that? Who, well, who helped you get to that? That's a serious journey. Um, I mean, I think... I mean, obviously, and I, I talk about it all the time on this podcast. I mean, I do therapy, we do therapy, family does therapy, but but it's more than that, right? It's it's paying attention just to um, to what the world um, thinks, right? And it doesn't matter. I mean, it it and and I too just sort of paying attention to my own feelings, paying attention to how I wake up every day. Like, what what's today going to be like? Like, I love that day. Huh. Like I never wake up or go to bed the night before going, oh God, I got to live another day tomorrow. Like it's, it's, it's good. Huh. And, and, 
And I think for my kids too, it's just been, I'm not, I'm not doing a very good job at all because I've never been put on the spot like this. So I'd love to have this conversation later when I'm thinking more about it. But the thing that I realized the most, and I did have this conversation recently with, with a journalist or an author named Sam Gwynn, S.C. Gwynn. Um, I said, I know a couple of things, right? I know, um, I know who I am and I know who my friends are. So that is, and once you get to that place, right, you know who's on the bus. Ten years ago, everybody's on the bus. Right. We're on the planes, we're champagne, parties. Right. right. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Today, when I look around the bus, everybody wants to be on that bus. Right. So how many... For the right reason. They had plenty of chances to get off the bus. Yeah. And a lot of people did. Yeah. But then, you know, and that's kind of a bummer, but then a lot of people that you didn't expect say, hey, yo, let me on the bus, they get on the bus. Right. And so at this point, I look around, I know exactly who's with me. Well, so that's a powerful, uh, to me, that, that puts you in a position, in a very powerful position. Right. Powerful. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, but I wonder if you, uh, uh, there's still a process to get to that. Sure. You know, you're not religious, but you make me think of a monk I know mm. in um, uh, outside of Boston. I've never been compared to a monk, that's for well, sure. You, well, his name is uh, Cur Curtis Almquist. And um, I went on a retreat at his monastery, and um, he talked about every single morning. He gets up in the morning, and he, he says to himself, these are the conditions. Hmm. And I just love that as a kind of a discipline. It's like, these are the conditions that I'm in. I couldn't think of a monk having conditions other than yeah. I'm in this monastery. But yeah, these are the conditions. And then, and then what? It takes a lot of clarity to get there. If you got there, you know, yeah, I would like, I'd like some of that juju that you have. Yeah. You know, some I, of that. And I think I've shared this on the, this podcast. And I don't, I'm just going to use one example. And I, this may not be the only reason, but it was a big reason. Because I know that when the truth of my, sporting history came out there were a lot of people that were betrayed yeah and pissed and mad and angry and everything right and bitter um but there was this is about six months ago i had uh, coffee with a girl who worked at my foundation for a long time and she wasn't a fangirl she wasn't working there because she loved cycling or yellow jerseys or any of that shit she was working there because she uh, cared about um cancer cared about fighting cancer that's all she cared about and she told me, her name was, was Melissa Cilio. Um, she told me that um, the, 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 the biggest feeling she felt when the truth came out was that she felt complicit. And so complicit is a very different word than betrayed. And when I heard that, it literally changed my life. Because betrayed, I got betrayed. I mean, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be walking that walk with betrayed people forever. But when... When you work for an organization and you, you support a guy and you, you, you say exactly what he says, you feel, and even the betrayed people, just the fans, they could be in Raleigh-Durham or they could be in Oakland. If they had my back for 15 years, the word complicit, it, 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 I mean, it hit me like a, you know, like a rock. Well, but to, I think that of complicit as... You have to be in full consciousness to be complicit of what you're doing. And maybe the people who say they're betrayed say they're betrayed because they don't feel they knew what was really going on. Right. I mean, well, help me with that. What do you... Well, I think the 
the feeling of being complicit comes from the fact that you work for an organization that's my org that I started that the the smoke is getting bigger and more um, and greater and they were get, starting to get questions you know their friends were like, what's the deal is this is this true and so then you know Melissa would go to the head of HR and say God what do we say ah and the head of HR would say say exactly what he says Ooh. never failed a drug test most tested athlete and all this bullshit blah 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 right and so they did it they used my lines to to defend the organization to defend me and so once once you know once judgment day comes down i think that's where the feeling of, of being complicit comes from uh-huh uh-huh, uh-huh. but it, for whatever i mean it it, it just really it, it hit me hard well you know it's interesting because when i think of this um taking a side view this particular political situation we're in right now mm-hmm. What worries me about us and, you know, all the people who have been saying since day one, how could this, I can't believe it. How could this man be our president? What worries me is that when we look back on it in history, we will have been complicit mm. with whatever is going wrong. Of it's, course. And, 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 and for some reason, it's sort of like when people, you know, it's been a movement recently probably going on even today as we speak of kids wanting to take the names of slave owners off of the buildings of in college campuses sure very very i mean all over all over the place and and my thing is like okay i think the name should stay because it's history build another building that tells another truth but then i say but wait a minute let's think about what we could be what are we doing right now because all those people who own slaves or who were in complicit in any way with slavery they didn't think they were bad people. Hmm. They, they didn't think they looked like the movies now make them look. So what are we doing right now? And I think that's what the discipline has to be, is what are we doing right now? Or, um, you know, what do we, or, or we could say that with, with, with your story, we have an opportunity to either be passive observers and go, oh, you know, Lance Armstrong. Or we get to take it as a cautionary tale hmm. for ourselves and to examine ourselves. And I don't know how many people are willing to look in the mirror, you know? So that's tough to do. For, I mean, that's tough for people to do. It's tough for us yeah. to do. But I know I never did that. Well, until, look, until I, my statue came down. It, right, right, right. But, but, but it, it could be a cautionary bell. I mean, just today I was out at the monastery. There's a monastery near here. I Saint ride my ben- bike up there all the time. Beautiful. And, I, and, and, it, and they can't talk, right? Yeah, they can talk. Oh, they get to talk. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he, he Thank talks goodness. a lot. Oh. So I, I went up there to take a friend of mine who's here, Lisa Fisher, who's uh, singing the jazz festival. She sang for years with uh, uh, with the Rolling Stones. Gimme Shelter is very, very famous for that. And Tina Turner and all this stuff. And when we were up at the monastery talking to Brother Aaron, who uh, I visit whenever I can, talking about the difference between entertainment and a messenger. And I think that any of us who are in the public eye and to whatever degree, we're either going to be in a position where people just look at us and they are passive observers, or they are going to see a message in it and they're going to bear witness to that message and then go do something. Hmm. 
And that's what y'all talked about today. We talked about that, a lot of other things, but it was really interesting to me to think of the difference between entertainment mm. and, and, and being there in, in the face of whatever, and we all should be entertained. But you never know when somebody's bringing a message, and then you become a witness. Yeah. Yep. Lots of lessons out there. You know, I think, I just want to say this, because um, cause you did interview me, and I, I, mean, I, I, want to, I just want to clear it up. When you interview, and Sally called, and Rich called, you know, I didn't know what you were doing. I was like, what do you, what do you mean she's going to interview and then play me? Like, I, I just didn't get it. Or maybe I just didn't even really care to get it. So if I was, if I was short, I'm sorry. But I didn't understand. I was like, wait, this lady is going to go play me and talk like me and sit like me. What? Who wants to watch that? I didn't get it. Well, it was kind of like a portrait. I think of it as like taking sure. your picture. No, I get it now. It's a portrait. But at the time, just telling yeah. you, at the time, I didn't yeah. get it. Yeah, but I, uh, were you a long answer kind of guy anyway? Uh, I'm looking around. Can I get some help in the room? I don't know. Am I? I don't know. It's, it depends. It depends on the Have subject. you ever shut an interview down and said, this is a stupid question? That's what I was afraid you were going to do. I, I've, yeah. But if, 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 listen, if Sally Jenkins and Ann Richards asked me to go do it, then I never would have shut it down. You yeah. could have said anything. Yeah. You know, the last thing, before I let you go, and you, you don't want to sit in this beautiful town and talk to me for any longer than you have to, but uh, one of the clips that I did see, and I loved this, is, is you, so this must have been after Freddie Gray. Yeah. Was, was was killed or or died in in in, Bal in your hometown. Yeah. And the pastor Jamal Harrison Bryant. Yeah. Gives the the eulogy. Yeah. And that that one was longer. It was you were so amazing. And he says, you know, he's talking to young African American boys and men, and you know, pull your pants up, and you ain't Lil Wayne, and you ain't Jay Z. I mean, so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in, 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 in all the reviews were that, I mean, you just completely nailed it. Yeah. Well, that was an amazing opportunity and yeah. very, very hard because uh, you should watch him. Yeah. It reminds me of you in a way. Hmm. You should watch him because, uh, you know, it reminds me of you. Me, and again, my movement coach and I talked about that. If you watch the real sermon and you watch him get worked up, and you watch how much he has to breathe. When he finishes, the most important thing to watch is when he finishes the sermon and he closes his uh, iPad and he turns around and he walks off and he just looks like he gave it all. He just left it all there. And it is like the most athletic mo moment. Yeah, like a time trial in cycling. You, 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 you're the race of truth. And, and, and to me, in my mind, it was like, you know, because I, I watched a lot of his preaching, but it's, it's like, what was so important about that particular sermon and, and, and why? Because when you watch him walk away, it's like, man, he doesn't have anything left. He left, left it all out there. It's all out there. Awesome. Anna, thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for thank giving you. me your really, time. Really, really. No, no, so I got to get an interview in return. I'm so sorry to say. You can do whatever you. Yeah, you, I want. I want. I want to interview you, you, man. Yeah, that that would be very, very important to do. Yeah. 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 Thank yeah, you yeah. so much. All right. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in to the Forward Podcast. Like, uh, like I said at the top of the show, if you have anything you want to say, if you have a suggestion, please, God knows I need suggestions, um, or questions, or concerns, or criticisms, or whatever, let me know. Send me an email. Send it to theforwardpodcast at wedosport.com. I know it's long. I know it's a little confusing. The Forward Podcast at we do W-E-D-U Sport Singular.com. The Forward Podcast at we do sport.com. 